Amen. Beautiful. Beautiful. Thank you for blessing us with that. Well, I want to say thank you to all those who labored this week in VBS. I'm not going to talk long about it, but thank you, Ms. Kim, and all the workers. We had teachers here working with the children and uh, security out front and door holders and door openers and recreation workers and uh, food toters and carriers and preparers and you name it. Uh, it was going on around here and uh, it was wonderful to see and uh, uh, I had a good time. I, I really, really enjoy snack time. I just, uh, uh, my sister uh, worked in the kitchen over there. She's in charge of the kitchen, so I had an in. Uh, whatever, they were, whatever they were fixing, I got some of it, and uh, it was good. So thank you for uh, your, your faithfulness to the Lord and the church as a whole for supporting the ministry. And uh, we, we already look forward to next year and how many more children in the community we can uh, reach with the gospel. So uh, great ministry this week. Take your copy of God's Word this morning and go to 1 John chapter 2, verse 18. Uh, as you're turning there, let me just, uh, as we study through this part of the Bible, this letter in particular, uh, this epistle, uh, we need to set some context as we are eventually going to look at verse 18. Uh, you will remember that John, the Apostle John, the last of the apostles, uh, was writing this letter to Christians in the first century. And so contextually, in his, in his world, contemporary setting, he's writing to save men and women who have made a profession of faith in Jesus Christ, and he's encouraging them uh, in this letter. Uh, uh, now, we know that the Holy Spirit moved John to write this letter and that the Holy Spirit inspired the writing of Scripture. And so it's preserved not only for the first generation of Christians, but for us as well. In other words, when we read it, we learn from it. And it's as applicable to us in the 21st century as it was for those Christians in the first century. Now, to, to reset the context of verse 18, let's consider for just a moment what we looked at last week in summary, which segues into verse 18. You'll remember last week in verse 15, uh, John made a very important statement, and look at it there in your copy of God's Word. He said, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Now, John basically drew a line in the sand, and he said, If you're saved, if you're a born-again child of God, the command is don't love the world, but love God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. Loving the world is always synonymous with sin and evil and wickedness, doing that which uh, is against God's law and against God's word. And John's saying as a Christian, as a saved man or woman, young person, boy or girl, who has put their faith in Jesus Christ, he said, we should love God and not the world. Now John goes on to say this, the two are mutually exclusive. If you love the world, the love of the Father is not in you. If we love the Father, the love of the world is not in us. They can't both be there at the same time. In other words, we have to choose. Now, that's not, that's not popular today among society to go, look, you have to choose. You have to choose who you're going to be. You have to choose what you're going to be. I had the great privilege to talk to a young man this week in, in VBS, a young fella. And uh, in the older group, they're 10, 11 years old. They're, they're moving toward being teenagers. And one of the things I said to that young man, I said, you're becoming of an age where you have to choose. You have to choose what kind of man you're going to be. You have to choose what kind of young person you're going to be. Are you going to follow God or are you going to follow the world? And, and John said that here. He said, you have to choose. We have to choose what kind of men and women we're going to be for Jesus Christ. It's mutually exclusive to try to live for both. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 24, no one can serve two masters. 
The world can't be our master and Jesus be our master at the same time. We have to pick which one we're gonna serve. Jesus went on to say, look, you're gonna love one and hate the other, or you're gonna hate one and love the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. In other words, you can't serve God and materialism or money or the things of this world. And so John said, draw, uh, draw a choice in your heart. Make a decision. And I would ask you this morning, decide for Christ. Decide for Christ. Make him Lord of your life. Trust him as your savior and then commit your life to serve him. John gives us a reason to do that. Look at verse 17 very quickly. He said, and the world is passing away in the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. Very simply, you know what that means? If you invest in this world, it's a poor investment. If we invest in the things of this world, it's a poor investment. Why? Because it's all gonna perish. This world's gonna burn up. God's gonna create a new heaven and a new earth. Anything that we do in this world that's solely for the satisfying of the flesh or for, for materialism or for gaining the things that this world says are important, we'll lose it. How foolish is it to put so much effort into gaining that which we can't keep in the first place? Contrarywise, if we serve God, John says here, if we, if we invest in eternal matters and spiritual things and we serve the Lord, those things are eternal. We lay up treasures in heaven. And, and one day we'll be accountable for that. So listen, here's the application very quickly before we look at verse 18. What is your, what is your legacy gonna be when life is over? What's your legacy gonna be? You say, well, nobody else knew I was here. No, 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 God knows you're here. Yeah, the world might, the world, listen, the world doesn't know my name, okay? They don't know who I am. But Jesus knows who I am. Why? Because I belong to him. If you're saved, God knows you're here. So what's your legacy gonna be? At the end of life, and you have to stand in front of Jesus one day, and even as a child of God, we have to give an account to him at the judgment seat of Christ. We have to give an account of our stewardship of this life as Christians. What's your story gonna say? Well, God, you know, I was very successful in the, in the, the business world. I was very successful in sports. I was, I was the greatest football player ever. I was the greatest basketball player, baseball player, hockey player. The world knew my name. I was a CEO. I was a this and that and the other thing. Jesus would go, yeah, that's wonderful. All that stuff's gone. But what did you do that matters? What did you do that has value beyond the temporary accoutrements of life? What's your legacy gonna be? Now, John segues from that. And that's pretty heavy duty stuff, by the way. Make a choice. Live for Jesus or live for the world. Don't try to ride the fence. You're either in or you're out. Listen, you say, Pastor, you, I have said that to Christians before to their face. Look, you're either in or you're out. Are you, gonna, are you gonna serve Jesus or not? Don't try to do both because you're making a hash out of both of them, okay? Pick Jesus. Do that which has value. Now, John segues into verse 18 from that. Notice what he says. Little children, another, another use of that term of endearment of, of children of God, those who are saved, my spiritual children. Notice what he says, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come, by which we know that it is the last hour. Now after saying we should commit to serve Christ, make him the master, the Lord of our lives, and he says, look, investing in this world is a bad investment, he says, Remember this also, you don't have much time. It's the last hour. Now, let's talk about this last hour phrase that John uses here. It is really synonymous with last days. 
He is saying to those Christians in the first century, we are in the last days. We are in the, in the last hours. What's he talking about? Last hours of what? Before the return of Christ. Listen, after Jesus arose from the grave, he was seen some 40 days in his resurrection body. He appeared to people, he taught, he talked to them, he walked with them on the road to Emmaus, one of my favorite stories. And then he, he had food, he, he fellowshiped, met in the upper room with the disciples and the apostles. They touched him, they saw him, they heard him. They, they testified, Paul said he was seen of above 500 people at one time in his resurrection body. Jesus arose from the grave, indisputable. They saw him, he walked around. At the end of 40 days, he ascended back to heaven. In fact, in the book of Acts, you get the story, they're all standing around, Jesus ascends back up in heaven, they're all standing there looking up into heaven, and the angels come in and say, what are you guys standing here looking at? He's coming back the same way he went up. And then the angels kind of said, get busy. Didn't he tell you to do something? Why are you standing here looking up? You know, do what he told you to do. Well, that's what we've been doing ever since, right? And what John says is, look, you live in the last hour, we look for the return of Christ. We look for him to come back. Here's the promise. And this is wonderful. At the end of this age, this period of time, the rapture of the church is going to take place. When the last person gets saved, whenever that is, who's going to be part of the body of Christ, Jesus is going to call this church out of the world. Man, I long for that. My heart aches for that. I prayed this morning, Lord, take us today. Call us out of here. Now, the only reason they don't is there's more people who need to be saved. There's more lost people that are going to get saved. But I pray, God, save them. Hurry up. Get them, get them saved. Get them in the church. And, uh, and let's get this thing, get it on the road. Right? You know, get us go to heaven. And, but listen, the rapture's coming. Then the tribulation's going to take place. God's going to judge the sin and the wickedness. And then after the tribulation will be his kingdom made. the thousand-year reign of Christ. And we get to rule with him and reign with him and serve him in that kingdom in this world. So there's a tremendous future coming. And when John said it's the last hour, he was saying to those Christians, look, there's not a lot of time. If you're going to do something for Jesus, you need to start doing it now. I would say the same thing to us today. Don't say to yourself, I'm going to serve Jesus tomorrow or next week. No, how about today? How about now? How about, how about today? Because you might not have tomorrow. In fact, you might not have tomorrow because Jesus might rapture the church or he might just take you home. You might not be here tomorrow. I might not be here tomorrow. Get busy today. Now let's make some observations. You say, well, boy, this sure opens a lot of questions. I know it does, and I'm going to answer them right now. So listen, okay? You say, if this is the last day, and that was the, that was the first century, that's a little confusing because we've been here for 2,000 years now. Well, it's not really confusing. Let me help you. Number one, the last hour or the, or the last days is in Scripture a period of time. Okay, it's not just not like, you know, today's the last day, which there will be eventually a day that will be the last day. But John and many of the, of the writers, particularly the, the prophets in the Old Testament, they can't see all the, they're, they're sharing with us what God's revealed to them, what they see, but they don't see all the details. They don't know how long. John said, this is the last day. And John, like us, was saying, man, I hope it's in my lifetime and I hope it's like now. But he couldn't say that. Because Jesus didn't reveal when he's coming back. He didn't say how long it's going to be. So it's a, it's a period of time. We live in a period of time called the church age. We live in a period of time called the day of grace, the age of grace. Now let me, let me share some theological stuff with you real quick here. 
There are, there are theologians who embrace, uh, who some embrace and some don't. I happen to embrace it, uh, an idea of dispensationalism. Now, dispensational is a fancy word that simply means periods of time. It means periods of time that are uh, of revelation, and they're cumulative, by the way, meaning God gave revelation, and then man was accountable in that period of time to respond to the revelation that they had. Does that make sense, everybody? You say, well, that's con- no, it's not complicated. Listen, when Adam and Eve were created in the garden, right? Brand new, boom, dirt, man, breathing breath of life. Now Adam's walking around asking a million questions, which I'm sure he was. You know, how did I get here? Well, I just made you, you know, I don't know if that's the conversation happened, but I, I'd imagine that's what I would say, you know, I'm awake now and I'm walking around and say, how did I get here? What just happened? And, you know, and God says, hello, I'm God. I just made you, uh, you know, I don't know how that conversation went, but maybe we'll ask Adam when we get to heaven, right? But in the Garden of Eden, there's Adam and Eve. God makes Eve, their, their husband and wife in the garden. Adam and Eve didn't know anything about the church. Everybody follow me? They hadn't, in the, in the first age, we could call innocence. They hadn't sinned yet. They perfect fellowship with God. Now, some theologians think there's five dispensations. Some think there's seven. I'll give you the seven. You go home, figure it out, all right? You, you figure out what you like. There's, there's innocence. And then when they sinned, what happened? Now there's moral accountability, isn't there? In other words, now, now they sinned and now they're responsible and God gives them a sacrificial system and says, now you, have, you can't just come to me anymore because sin interrupts us, right? And then the, the thing, the flood happened because the world got so wicked. And after the flood, God instituted human government. And he said, right after the flood, he who sheds man's blood, his blood will be, God set up an institution of human government. And then after human government was the promise out of all of humanity, uh, the river of humanity, God went over and picked this one guy named Abraham out of Ur of Chaldees and made a promise to him. And so the age of promise began, the covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and God's plan with the Jews. And then after, after the promise, the law was added. In other words, God revealed to them Mount Sinai, here's my law, here's my covenant with you, and here's my moral law. And so man, cumulatively from innocence to, to moral responsibility, all the way through the flood, the human government and promise and the law, now man understands more because why? God's revealed more, right? And God's revealing more of himself and his plan. And so Abraham and Isaac and Jacob are way more responsible than the people before the flood in some of the revelation because they didn't have it before the flood. However, watch this. Every generation, every time of, every period of time was responsible to God in the same way to respond to God and what they know. Follow me? Boy, went from law to grace to church, right? And after the church age, what happens? The kingdom age. Now, watch this. If we are responsible for what we know, how responsible are we? You say, wow, we're pretty responsible, Pastor. Yes, we are. You know why? Because you, you got the whole thing right here. You, you don't have pieces. You don't, you're not sitting around wondering what God's going to do next. You can read it right here. So if any generation in human history, and I mean any generation in human history, any period of time, any dispensation has ever been responsible to God to respond to what they know is this one. Because we have the whole revelation. And so understand that when John said it's the, it's the last days, the last hour, he's saying there's this period of time, we're in it. It's almost over. It's almost done. When Jesus comes back and raptures the church and the tribulation happens, human history, human history will never, ever be again as we know it right now or have known it. God's going to change everything. 
Because when the tribulation's over, Jesus is coming back. He's come back as King of kings and Lord of lords. He's going to set up his kingdom and rule from the throne of David in Jerusalem, and the world will never be the same. Praise God for that, because the world's pretty messed up right now. Jesus is going to fix it. He's going to set it right. So we live in the last days in, in the idea of, of, of a period of time. Now, here's the only question that matters with this. You say, wow, that's a lot of stuff. No one is good. But here's the only question that really matters. Whose side are you on in this thing? Are you, on, are you with Jesus or are you with the world? Because you see, that's going to make all the eternal difference. Because if you're saved, no matter what God does, you're going to spend eternity with him. No matter how he works it out, no matter when he comes. But if you're lost, you're going to get left here when the church gets raptured. You're going to go through the tribulation and take my word for it. If you haven't read the book of Revelation, you don't want to be here when that happens. You don't want to live through that. So the really the only question that matters is, is who do you have part with? Are you with Jesus or are you with the world? Now, secondly, not only is it a, a, a period of time, but as I said a moment ago, we don't, we don't know the duration of time. You say, well, how long is this last hour that John's speaking about? How long are the last days? And we can't say specifically. No one can say when Jesus is coming back. I get intrigued by people who publicly go, I'm going to predict when the world's going to end and, you know, let's all gather up on the mountain and hold our hands up and Jesus is going to snatch us up. Well, I don't know a lot, but I can tell you it ain't happening that day for sure. Okay. That's all I know. I'm not, I don't know when, but I'm, I can pretty much tell you it ain't happening on that day because God said we don't know. All right. But listen, but we do have hints in the Bible. We do have some pieces that we can, we can read and say, well, I can get an idea of what God's doing. Let me give you one of them real quick. In Matthew 25 is the parable of the talents. And you know the, the parable, the landowner, the steward is, is going to go away on a long trip. Matter of fact, verse 14 of Matthew 25, for the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. So he calls them in. He says, I'm going to be gone on a long trip. The, the key there is a far country. I'm going, I'm going a far place away. And he gives one five talents and one two and one one. And you know the story. They go out and they do their thing with them. Well, two of them do wise. They invest and they make more talents and one of them buries it in the ground. Listen to verse 19. After a long time, you think that's a clue? Yeah, because Jesus is the landowner and we're the servants. Okay. So after a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled his accounts with them. Here's what these kinds of things teach us. We don't know the time, but a long time. Well, I think it's been a long time already, don't you? 2,000 years. That's pretty long. You say, well, that's a long time. Is that a long time to God? And it's not a long time to God because God doesn't live in time and space. God is outside of time and space. God doesn't wear a wristwatch. God, God controls time and space. He's outside of it. So 2,000 years is nothing to God. A thousand years is a day, is a day is a thousand years. That's not just rhetorical. That's not just, it is literal. God, a thousand years is nothing to God. Why? Because he's eternal. He's forever. But for us, Jesus said a long time to us. Two thousand years is a long time. I would suggest to you that the coming of Christ is much closer today than it's ever been. You say, well, that's intuitive. If it didn't come yesterday, he's closer today. I know but he's really closer today. I mean, he, he, listen, the coming of Christ could be at any time. I mean, it, it could be at any time. 
And I've often asked this question, what do you want Jesus to find you doing when he shows up? Not like he can't see you anyway, but you understand what I mean. When he shows up, what is it, what is it we want Jesus to find us doing when he comes to rapture the church? Sunday morning, Eastern time, 9 or 10.30, that's when I want him to come. Because we'll be here, right? Wouldn't it be awesome for Jesus to rapture us and we're all in church? And the people that skip church that day are going to be so upset. Because <laughs> Jesus is going to rapture them off the golf course and they got some explaining to do, right? <laughs> or out of the bass boat or wherever they're at. But he's coming. And, and, and listen, a long time. It's been 2,000 years he's coming back. Now, let's make two other real quick observations about this. One, John thought it would be sooner. Let's just be, let's just, you say, well, did John make a mistake? No, he didn't make a mistake. The Bible has no mistakes in it. But in his contemporary setting, when Jesus said, behold, I come quickly, because remember, John wrote the book of Revelation too. When Jesus said, behold, I come quickly, John's thinking, not quick enough, not, you know, like now. So in their heart, they had the same desire we have. In their heart in the first century, they wanted Jesus to come back. They just did not know that it would be 2,000 plus years, which it has been now. And then finally, fourthly, this last hour thing, the implication for us uh, is very clear. Uh, Jesus is going to come back, and the question is, uh, are we ready? Are we ready for him to come back? The primary way to be ready online, if you're watching online or here today, is you, is you have to know that you're saved by faith in Jesus Christ. That's the way to be ready. Because if you're not saved by faith in Jesus Christ, you're not ready for Jesus to come back. And if you're not saved by faith in him and you've not asked God to forgive your sin and save you, you're not ready to meet him. Because if you meet him lost, you're going to meet him as your judge. And that's not how you want to meet God. If you're saved, we meet him as our savior, as our Lord, as our friend. That's how you want to meet Jesus. So are you ready for him to come back? Jesus coming back. I know the world thinks we're crazy and the world makes fun of Christians and goes, oh, you guys talk. Listen, they're going to be awful surprised when Jesus shows up. Gonna, he's going to show up. You can just ride down and take it to the bank. Second thing in this verse, very quickly, that John talked about. He used this phrase, Antichrist. Let's talk about that for a few minutes. Look at verse 18 again. Little children, it's the last hour. It's the last days. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come by which we know that it is the last hour. <clears throat> Let's talk about this phrase, Antichrist, for just a moment. Anti, obviously, is a... Uh, a preposition that means against or opposite of. So antichrist means anything against Jesus. Now, when we talk about antichrist in the Bible, it's typically talked about in two contexts. The primary one is we talk about the antichrist, a person in the tribulation, and I'll talk about that in a moment. But there's a whole nother aspect of antichrist that we don't talk about much. Antichrist is not just a person that person who will end up being the Antichrist, what we call the Antichrist in the tribulation, personifies a societal uh, mood, if you will, a societal ideology. The ideology is in two things that oppose Christ. Listen to this very carefully. Number one, there is in, in the world today among, among secular humanism and among the lost world an open opposition to Christ, an open opposition to all that Jesus stands for, truth and holiness and righteousness and God's law, the world stands against that. That is Antichrist because they stand against Jesus. There's a world out there and there are many 
antichrists, as John said here, false teachers, those who, those who perpetuate lies, those who attack the Bible, those scientists and those secular scholars who, who stand against all that the Bible teaches, political leaders, people in the world, and I'm not, talking to, I'm not picking on any one party because they're both messed up. I was trying to think of a good word. There wasn't a good one. But listen, not one I can say here anyway. The point is, that I don't lose my train of thought. The point of this is, that, is this. The world stands in opposition to God. And as we, listen now, and as we draw closer for the time for Jesus to come back, it's going to get worse. The opposition is going to become more bold, more open, and persecution is going to increase for the church even in this country. So there is an opposition to Jesus that's called Antichrist. The second phase of that is this to replace Christ, to remove him from his throne. In other words, in the heart of humanity today, in the heart of lost men and women, we want to be our own God. We want to make our own rules. We want, to, we want to do life the way we want to do it, not according to God. And so in essence, what we're saying to God is, is I'm big enough to be in charge of my own life. I don't need you to be my God. I don't need you to tell me what to do. The world is eat up with that today. Man, you don't know, you don't know how many people in the world today, when you talk to them or you say something to them, their, their defense is right up. You don't get to tell me what to do. You don't get to tell me what I ought to do. You don't get to tell me what my life would be like. You don't get to tell me what kind of life I get to choose. No, you're right. I don't. I have zero authority to tell you what to do. But God has all authority to tell you what to do. Why? Because he's God. And he created you and he created me. And he created the world. And he's God. And we can't replace him. Satan wanted to be like God and it didn't work out well for him. Puny human beings want to be like God and it isn't going to work out well for them either. So there is this idea of, of opposing Jesus and trying to dethrone him, neither one of which will work. That is Antichrist. Now, John goes on to say, how do we know it's the last hour? Because we will see this ideology proliferate. We will see it grow more and more. Let me, let me read to you what Paul said to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3. 2 Timothy, by the way, Paul's about to be executed. And he's writing these letters to Timothy, this young preacher, his protege, and he's preparing Timothy for what he's going to run into. Listen to 2 Timothy 3, the first five verses. Paul said, but know this, that in the last days, same idea of John, the last hour, listen to what he says, perilous times will come. For men, now listen to this list, and you tell me if this isn't a perfect picture of what we see in society today. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents. That's why we got 13 and 14-year-olds out at 2 o'clock in the morning killing one another, okay? Unthankful unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers without self-control, brutal, watch the news every day, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, listen to this now, having a form of godliness but not denying the power of it and from such people turn away. 
Paul could have been reading from the news in the 21st century and he couldn't have written a more appropriate list to give evidence that we're in the last days. Now, what will happen? You say, well, that's quite a list, Pastor. That's the same list been plaguing man since, since the fall, okay? Nothing new in there. But here's the difference. And I've said this before. There's a vast difference between being a sinner and knowing I'm a sinner and being ashamed of it and knowing that I have to stand before God and listen to where we are today in society where I know I'm a sinner and I don't care and I'm gonna be as wicked as I can be and try to tell me I can't be. There's a big difference between the two. There's sin and then there's arrogance in sin when we stand up and we throw it in God's face. In other words, this list of stuff as we get closer to the return of Christ is gonna get worse and worse and worse. Worse and worse and worse. And that, listen, beloved, that's what we're living in today. That is the day we're living in. And as, and as Jesus comes back and it's time for the tribulation, it will grow more. Now, let me, let me finish about the Antichrist with talking about the person, the Antichrist. Now, everything we just described with the opposition to Jesus and the trying to dethrone Jesus and the trying to, and man becoming incredibly wicked, when the church is raptured and the tribulation begins, Satan will raise up a man who will, will personify all that in, in the most complete way. In other words, there will be a man who will come to leadership over, over uh, a world, a dictatorship, who will completely resist Jesus openly and in every way and will claim himself to be God as moved by Satan. And in fact, if you read about the tribulation, there will be people who will get saved during the tribulation. Most of those people, the majority of them will be executed for their faith. In other words, Antichrist will try to eradicate any faith in the true and living God. He will, the punishment will be death. At halfway point through the tribulation, he will turn his back on Israel and will attack Israel and try to wipe them out again. Now, people who would get saved during the tribulation will lose their lives to commit themselves to Christ. You say, well, do we know that that's what this guy will look like? There are examples or types in history, throughout human history, that I could use, and I'm gonna give you one. In 168 BC, there was a guy named Antiochus Epiphanes. Epiphanes, by the way, plays to his pride that he thought he was God. He was a Syrian king from the Seleucid Empire who took it upon himself that he was gonna eradicate Judaism from the world. Just gonna wipe it out, not gonna be anymore. So he conquered Jerusalem, which wasn't very hard at the time because Israel was between the Ptolemies and the Seleucids and fighting had been going on for several hundred years. And for some reason, Jerusalem got hammered every time one army went by the other. But the point is this, this guy decided he was gonna eradicate Judaism from the world. So he conquered Jerusalem, slaughtered thousands of Jews, sold tens of thousands into slavery and said, it's illegal now on pain of death to exercise Judaism. If we catch you with the law, circumcise your children, go to the temple, do anything that resembles Judaism, we're gonna execute you. That's what he did. Matter of fact, he went into the temple, turned the temple chambers into public brothels, put a statue of Zeus in the courtyard and offered pigs on the altar, completely defiling and blaspheming the name of God. And Tychus Epiphanes, Paul, not Paul, but Daniel talks about this guy in his writings, the one that would come, 
he typifies or pictures the Antichrist who will come in the tribulation, who will do the same kind of things, but incredibly worse. Now, after all that, John says this, and we'll close with this. Look at verses 19 to 21 very quickly. He says, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out from us, and it might be made manifest that none of them were of us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. Well, that's pretty special, isn't it? Doesn't mean you're all knowledgeable. He's talking about spiritual things. Notice verse 21. I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and that no lies of the truth. Now I don't have time to take those verses apart. Probably could do a whole message on them, but let me show you how they connect. He said, watch the connection. We're in the last hours, which all the stuff we talked about today. Then he says to them, but there's some people in the church who have left. Okay, which again will be another issue as we draw closer to the coming of Christ. People will forsake the church, okay? He said, they went out from us, which just genuinely shows they weren't really of us in the first place. Now he's talking about two groups. One, false teachers. These false teachers come in here and didn't find root because you know. And how do they know? Because they've been taught. And so they didn't hang around, they left. And because they left, they aren't really of us. They never were of us. And two, have you ever noticed that in church sometimes people come into church and they look like Christians and they, they walk like Christians and they smell like Christians and they dress like Christians and they, and they look like Christians and then suddenly, you know, suddenly they, they go back into the world full force. Man, I mean, they go back into the world and just completely abandon Christ. Well, how, why do people do that? Well, they were never really part of us in the first place, meaning they were never really saved in the first place. Now, we can't, we can't uh, pull back the spiritual curtain and see if a person's really saved or not. But understand this, a person who can walk away from Jesus and completely turn their back on his name and, and say, I don't want anything else to do with God and I don't believe the Bible anymore, never got saved in the first place. Amen. Because a person, John said right here, those who are really saved, remember he's speaking to Christians, you have an anointing. What does that mean? The Holy Spirit lives in you if you're really saved. And if the Holy Spirit lives in a man or woman, we understand who God is. And even when we fail him, and we do, the Holy Spirit convicts us and we could never turn our back on Jesus. We can never do that. That's called perseverance of the saints, by the way, if you wanna get a little Calvinistic. But the point is, that's the Holy Spirit who does that. It's the Holy Spirit who keeps us sealed. It's the Holy Spirit who keeps us there. And so John simply drew a line here. He said, look, in the midst of all of this opposition to Jesus, which was in the world of his day, all of this trying to dethrone Jesus, which was in the world of his day, he said, the false teachers are gonna come and they'll come and go and people will come into the church and they'll be fake and they'll be, they'll be wolves among the sheep. He said, but they'll go, they won't stay. He said, but you know, you know better. And let me illustrate it this way in the 21st century. Anybody who wants to come to this church is welcome. I don't care, I don't care who they are, what they look like, what their lifestyle is, they can come here. And I hope they come. But here's what'll happen, you ready? If they come and they're living in, in sin or they're, or they're living contrary to what God says we ought to do as human beings, they're gonna hear the gospel and they're gonna hear the truth from this. I got, you know, they don't have to listen to me, but I gotta listen to this. Sooner or later, understand that everybody's listening to this, okay? Why? Because it's God's word. One of two things gonna happen. Either they're gonna get convicted and they're gonna get saved, 
And if they get saved, what will God do? Fix them on the inside first and then fix them on the outside, right? But if they come here and they don't get saved, eventually they're gonna quit coming, you know why? Because they're gonna get tired of hearing this. And they're gonna get tired of getting convicted over the truth and they're gonna go away and, and they're gonna leave. So that's why we are, we are the church of the open door, if you wanna put it that way, okay? You can come all you want to. Now, if you wanna join the church, that's a little different animal, okay? Because people who are part of the church are saved people. So you can't come in here and tell me I wanna be part of the church living like a wild man or a wild woman because the answer, uh, you know, like Simon on the, that would be a no. We're not doing that, okay? We're not, we're not gonna do that. Uh, but anybody's welcome to come. Anybody's welcome to come here to work. John said they left because they weren't really part, uh, they weren't really saved in the first place, okay? Now, the end of the day, you say, well, what, I, what should I do? Well, I hope you understand a lot about this today. Jesus is coming back. Could be today, could be tomorrow, could be the next day. I don't know when he's coming back. But I do know this, he's coming back. And the question is, are you ready for that? Are you ready? Do you know him as your Lord and Savior? Online, are you saved? Listen, if Jesus comes back and you're lost, you're in a whole heap of trouble. You, you are in a lot of trouble. Don't let it happen to you, okay? This morning, if you're not sure you're saved, if you need Jesus Christ, would you pray to receive him right now? We're gonna pray as we close. Would you pray to receive Jesus Christ right now? Let's pray. Father, thank you for revealing these things to us in your word. God, for having a, this, this awesome plan and included in that is the plan of redemption to win uh, back, to buy back lost men and women out of sin, Lord, to make your church your, your bride. Maybe there's somebody here today, Lord, who's not sure they're saved. Lord, they're, they're not sure they're ready to face Jesus today. I pray for them right now, God, that they would just say to you, God, I'm sorry for my sin, and I ask you to save me, forgive me, save my soul right now. Maybe there's somebody watching online or live or someone who will watch this video later, and, and God, they need to be saved, and right now they can pause and say, God, I don't understand a lot of things about the Bible, but I'm a sinner, and I know that. And Jesus, I believe you died on the cross to pay for my sin. God, save me right now, forgive my sin. Lord, I pray you would bless our hearts today. Move those who need to make a decision in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand as we sing. If you, if you have questions or I can help you or pray with you, you step out on the first verse. Come, I'll be right down here to meet you. Jesus, sing that song yes sir all right please All right. be seated if everybody could make their way to